So if you have not grabbed a Bible, this would be a good time to grab one. There's some available up on the stairs up here. And we're going to open to Hebrews 9 this morning. The lectionary reading is just verses 11 through 14, but we're actually going to start at verse 1 and go all the way through 14. So Hebrews 9, starting in verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary. For a tent was constructed, the first one, in which the lamp stand, the table, and the bread of the presence. This is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the Holy of Holies. In it stood the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak now in detail. Such preparations having been made, the priests go continually into the first tent to carry out their ritual duties. But only the high priest goes into the second, and he but once a year, and not without taking the blood that he offers for himself and for the sins committed unintentionally by the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the sanctuary has not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tent is still standing. This is a symbol of the present time, during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various baptisms, regulations for the body imposed until the time comes to set things right. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption, For if the blood of goats and bulls, with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer, sanctifies those who have been defiled, so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God? This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you have gathered us here this morning. And for this time that we can come together to receive anew the word that you have given us through your scripture. Lord, we pray that during this time that you might quiet any distractions in our hearts and minds. And that your spirit would be working in each and every one of us. That whatever it is that you have, that you want us to hear this morning, Lord, that we would hear it. Lord, we thank you for your spirit and for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we've had a couple weeks in Hebrews now. And if you've been here all of the weeks, you might notice that there's kind of some repetition of the themes. 
Um, as I was looking at the passage this morning, things were popping into my head, and I was like, oh yeah, Pastor Telsey talked about that that week, and oh, you know, this kind of reminds me of some of the things we talked about on communion. And the truth is, Paul does repeat himself a lot. And as Chelsea has said, this is a sermon, and that's good preaching. We want to repeat the take-home theme. But there's another reason that I think Paul is also repeating himself. And that's because he's heralding this change. What they have believed about the practices of how they cleanse themselves and enter God's presence, that has changed. And change is hard. We as people kind of naturally reject change. We're called to try something new, and we're like, oh, maybe not. If I don't have to, I don't think I want to. And yet, the change that Paul is talking about isn't just a minor detail. It is everything. It's about how they relate to God. It's about access to God, and it's about how we see ourselves as God sees us. I wanted to read the first 10 verses this morning because I think it helps set up the verses we were looking at, and it helps us understand what Paul might have been doing here. So what I've learned about change is that the best way to inspire change is to first reflect on what the old way was. Talk about why you did it the way you did it for so long. And then explain why you need to change. And that's what Paul does here. In the first ten verses, he hints at what the old way was. He doesn't go into a lot of detail, but he doesn't have to. Because he knew that his listeners would probably be familiar with Leviticus 16. And if you were to turn to Leviticus 16, you would see the entire chapter is regulations for that Day of Atonement, which is the day that's mentioned in here about when the priest goes into that high holy place. A whole chapter about the clothes that they wear, about how many times they wash themselves, about who can enter what part of the tent. And right away in verse 2 of that chapter, God tells Moses how serious it is. Because he says that if Aaron does this wrong, the penalty is death. That's, that's got to be a lot for the people of Israel. Already they know their sins. They're coming on this day of atonement because they know that they have sins. And here it mentions that this is just for their unintentional sins. It's not even for the ones that they're consciously making. And to even go through the process of being able to get some cleansing of those unintentional sins, their priest has to follow all of this protocol perfectly or face death. And then as you look at the Day of Atonement, you know that this happens every year. So they have one day where they come and they have this practice of purifying their flesh. And then they know that because 
they're stuck in this cycle of sin. Next year, they're going to be right back here doing the same thing again. And it names it well of that it doesn't get at their conscience. This day of atonement is an outward cleansing. The word that is used there talks of the cleansing of the flesh. It's the word atonement that we find in Leviticus. Other ways we could say it would be to appease, to cover over, to pacify. I don't know about you, but for me, those words don't really bring this sense of wholehearted forgiveness. They don't bring this true depth of purity. If you're covering something up, it's still there. And this, this was the old way. This is what Paul's saying. That's how it used to be. You just kind of acknowledged it and covered it over with the blood of the sacrifices, and then you go through another year, and then you do it again. But it's not the way it's supposed to be. Hebrews verse 8 says that the way into the sanctuary had not yet been disclosed. So it meant that a change was supposed to come. God didn't always want his people to have to live with the guilt of their sins year after year, going through all of these rituals that were just a surface cleansing. That God desires more for his people. As I was reflecting on this and reading through some commentaries, um, I came upon these sections of the Heidelberg Catechism um, that I think really capture what Paul is trying to say here and what the difference is of why the change needed to happen. Um, So I have them on the screen um, just so that you can hear them as I'm reading through them. And we're going to read a couple and then I'll skip ahead one. But this first one is question and answer 12. Um, And I'll actually invite you, I'll read the question, and then if you'll read the answers. Question and answer 12. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment, both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, No more creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is true and righteous, human, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is one who is also true God. So in here we're going to skip a couple Then who is this mediator, true God, and at the same time, a true and righteous human? 
our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given to us to completely deliver us and make us right with God. These stuck out to me because I think they capture the essence of this passage. The Day of Atonement was about having the scapegoat, was about putting the sins and sending them out into the desert. But it wasn't changing their hearts. It wasn't cleansing their conscience. The blood was covering over the sin, but it wasn't getting rid of it. Because the truth is, is those animal sacrifices couldn't make us right with God. There was always going to be that curtain between the first tent and the second tent. There was going to be that separation between God and his people. But then Jesus came. And that's what Paul wants his listeners to know, is we're not in that old way anymore. He's pushing this repetition of this theme of why they need to change because everything has already changed. Jesus came and he didn't just offer more blood of other animals. He himself put his blood forward and he offers to cleanse us with that blood, which does more than just cover over our sins but calls us to a new way of living. As you read through the stories of Jesus' crucifixion, it talks about how when he died, the curtain in the temple tore. And I think that's just such a beautiful image of people now getting access to God. There's no longer a distance between them. They don't have to ask a priest to come on their behalf to enter God's presence. But because of Jesus, everyone in Jesus' blood can come into God's presence and find the forgiveness that they desire. The word redemption in verse 12. We mentioned earlier that the word for atonement in Leviticus was about this appeasing, this covering over. Here in Hebrews, the word redemption calls to mind a ransoming or a deliverance. Or elsewhere, it's used to refer to the full ransom price paid to free a slave. That is what Jesus offers on our behalf. Jesus has paid our full ransom so that we are no longer slaves to sin and death that we can boldly and confidently enter God's presence. That our consciences no longer have to be weighed down with guilt. And that every time we, have to, we sin, we have to wait for next year to make atonement for it. That's why I love communion. It was great last week, but I was like, oh, I kind of wish we had communion today. We'll have it again in a couple weeks. But the repetition of communion is again that continuous reminder. We're not under the old way. We're not separated from God. But Jesus has prepared a table and he invites us 
to that table that he has hosted to remind us that his blood was shed for us. And that is an eternal thing. He doesn't have to come and die every year. He did it once for all. And we receive grace through that. So how do we live into that today? What does that mean for us who perhaps had never partaked in that ritual of the Day of Atonement? What are the things that perhaps we need to change in our own lives to fully live into this? It says here, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. So what are the dead works in our lives? And I think they're a little different for everyone, but things that I have seen in my own life and seen in those that I've journeyed alongside. And one is this clinging to guilt. And I've only been in Canada a couple months, but I know in the Midwest, we're really good at guilt. They, even, they call it that Calvinist guilt. which we do acknowledge we are sinful people and we need to confess those sins to God. But then we need to let them go. (laughs) If God can set aside sins, why are we stuck in those cycles of blaming ourselves and seeing ourselves as unworthy to come before God? If we truly profess that Jesus has died and that his blood gives us forgiveness, why are we not living that way? Why do we come to worship on a Sunday morning? Do we come simply because we feel we have to be there, because it looks good to show up on a Sunday morning? Or do we truly believe that we are coming to encounter the living God who desires us, his children, to find rest and nourishment in him and in this community of believers? Are we able to forgive others? Or do we point out the flaws in them because we're trying to make ourselves feel better? Because if we truly believe that God offers us forgiveness, then we can be less concerned about when others make mistakes. Are we offering the forgiveness to ourselves when we make mistakes? Or do we set such a high standard for perfection because we feel that God won't love us if we're anything less than perfect? Even though reality is none of us are perfect, and God knows that. Are we able to adapt as a community? Are we able to explore and embrace change? If the Holy Spirit calls us to step out in faith, are we able to say, yes, Lord, send me? Or are we holding so tight to tradition 
because that's what we've always done, so surely that's the only way I can be right with God. Do we trust God in his spirit to lead us well? And lastly, do we value who God made each of us as individuals to be? Do we know that God knows we're flawed? God knows we're imperfect. But God loves us. And God wants us to love ourselves and love each other. What would it look like if we truly knew God loved us and we loved ourselves that same way? If we believed wholeheartedly that we had value and gifts to bring to the community, to bring to this church, and we were willing to share them. Not being focused on, maybe I'm not good enough, but knowing that if God has called, he will equip you. And that we don't have to be afraid to step forward because that curtain has torn God desires us in his presence. Jesus shed his blood once for all. And we can have courage and confidence in that. So I challenge you. What is holding you back from embracing wholeheartedly the gift that Jesus offers? When you take communion, when you come to church, do you truly believe that God loves you who you are? Or are you holding on to things that are keeping you a little bit apart from him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are our great Father. And we thank you for the ways that you demonstrated your love for us through sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that the distance there once was between you and your children, that you have removed that, Lord. And that because we know Jesus has ascended into your presence and intercedes for us always, that we can confidently come before your throne and worship you. And Lord, I pray that as we go through our days and our weeks, that we would trust the prompting of your Holy Spirit to find new ways to transform the dead works in our lives into living and glorifying things that honor you, Lord. And we lift this all in Jesus' name. Amen.